believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of western Iowa, comes the voice of the church, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that He was buried, that He was resurrected on the third day, that He's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. John 1, 14, and the Word, capital W, was made flesh. Now, just stop right here. What Word? The Word. What did that mean? The Old Testament. When this was written, there was only one Word. It's what they called the Torah. The Torah, the Old Testament, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Torah walked among us in a body, and His name was Jesus. The Old Testament was made flesh. Why would Jesus need to replace himself? That's just a good question. He doesn't need to replace himself. So Jesus didn't replace the truth in the Old Testament. He is the truth personified of the Old Testament. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we saw the glory thereof as the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the Marcionite reads the verse and says, See, until Jesus got here, no one had any grace. But you can't, you can't say that reading that verse because that means this verse says that Jesus showed up full of grace and truth. And if you're going to be consistent, you have to say that no one before Jesus had any truth and no one had any grace. Well, of course they had truth. You know how many times Jesus quoted the Old Testament when he preached? He believed they had truth. So that can't be what that verse means. It's not what it means. That's a really poor interpretation. It's error. It's Marcionite error. No, what the verse is saying is, for the first time in history, a man, God made flesh. The Torah made flesh. Guess what that means? He's full of grace because the Torah was full of grace and the Torah was full of truth. And so when the truth and the grace of the Old Testament became a man, he was a man full of grace and truth. Grace has always been here. It's the only way 
to make sure you go to heaven after you die. Why can't people preach the Bible correctly? And he dwelt, he was full of grace and truth. This never happened before. There had never been any man that was so powerful that you could say every great and good thing that's ever been written down and inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Torah of God was in that guy. So because the Old Testament, all the grace and all the truth of it was embodied in this man from Nazareth, because the Old Testament stepped out onto the field of history and shook the world, we call it the age of grace. The idea that the age of grace means that nobody had any grace before makes no sense because he was the Torah and he was made flesh. Somebody say amen. amen. Can you even begin to understand how frustrated I am when I hear people teach these crazy things and they're looking at the verse and they say it wrong. Dear God, help us, save us from mental demonic strongholds. So grace deposits in the old and the new right now this morning are acquired by you. You're getting grace connected directly to what you're hearing and what you're believing. Now, it is possible for you to hear the sent message from heaven through the preacher and hear it and choose not to believe it. If you don't believe what you hear, you cut off the pipeline of grace. You will not get it. If what you're not believing, you're not believing it because it's inaccurate and untrue, you've lost nothing because what they were trying to give you was a false grace. In that case, Putting up the shield of faith and quenching the fiery darts of the enemy was a good thing because you don't want false grace in your life. It will destroy you and deceive you. Can you say amen? amen? So if I say anything that's not in this Bible, if I can't prove what I'm teaching in this Bible, then you have every right to reject every word of it. But if I can prove what I'm saying in the Bible, you need to believe it and you need to respond right amen. because there's power in it. If I didn't believe there was power in this, I wouldn't be doing this for a living. Moses had grace and truth, but he didn't have as much as Jesus. And so what that means is this. In any age prior to Jesus, the, the whole Torah made flesh full of grace and truth because the Torah is full of grace and truth. I may be gelling with, please don't ever forget what I just said. That verse is brutalized every week on Christian TV and radio. And I just told you what it means. Please lock it in. Look at your neighbor say, it's locked in. Never going to forget. If you hear a preacher say something different, you know he's wrong. The Old Testament is full of grace and truth. You say different, you're a liar. It says it right there. If, if the hearers could only get grace in proportion to what they were told then the level of grace, and you need grace because it's the power of God in your life flowing in all directions that helps you accomplish your mission. You have a mission. You have a purpose. Grace picks up the slack and helps you accomplish things you could not do on your own and in your own strength. Grace helps you get divine assignments done that if you were left to your own strength, you would quit and need happy pills to survive because you would collapse under the pressure and weight of it. Or you, grace helps you get through very difficult tragedies. When someone dies and you didn't know they were gonna die and there's an accident and, and evil visits your home 
and you're struggling emotionally, when you're going through a painful divorce, when your child is in rebellion, when you get a diagnosis from a doctor, when your finances are depressing you and you're struggling to pay your bills. There is a gazillion different ways that, you, that we all suffer in this world. We have to get through it. And grace gives us this amazing strength to face our giants and to face our battles and to face the threats and to deal with the stress that this world just creates for all of us. None of us are exempt from it, we live here. This world is really, sometimes it's just difficult. It just is, it's irritating. Things bother, they anger, they frustrate, they depress. You want to sob and cry. You're struggling, you're having difficulty. I gotta tell you something, if you don't have grace, it is a miracle that you don't end up in an asylum. So I just wanted to say that that's free. You need grace, you better pay attention. Be humble, because you won't get any without it. Be humble. Turn to your neighbor and say, cut the attitude, because you, you need grace. You need grace. Nothing to stop grace better than your attitude. No grace for you. Reminds me of the Seinfeld, a Chinese guy. No soup for you! Oh, attitude, no grace for you! So, I need grace. I need it. I got to have it. One of my Bible teachers was a really great pianist. And to illustrate grace, there's so many things you take for granted. You think that it's your ability. You're so used to it. You become accustomed to these abilities that you, you work out, you, you practice, you could be your sports ability, could be your musical ability, could be your speaking ability. There's all these abilities, and people don't understand sometimes the things that you think are only natural gifts, and you give God no credit for them. They are completely gifts from Him. And you're taking the credit, and you ought to be giving it to Him, and your attitude needs to go down about nine notches, and your head needs to shrink. And this happens all the time, and I'll never forget this teacher told me that one of the most remarkable things that happened to him, it shook him up because he thought he knew how to play the piano because he practiced and took lessons. And he worked hard for years. Years he worked and worked and worked and worked to play the piano. And he would get up, he had a beautiful grand piano in his living room, get up every morning as his habit, go to the piano, and he would just begin to play because he could just play anything he wanted. He could play free. He was a great musician. Play anything he wanted, and he would just sing out of his spirit and worship God on that instrument. And he was a minister. He'd been doing this for years. And you get older, you get, you get 40. <laughs> and you know your instrument. You've gone as far as you're going to go with it, probably. You've developed your skill as far as you kind of take it for granted. So he goes, he sits down to play the piano, and he physically sat down, and he said, I, I put my hands down to the keyboard. He said, my mind went blank. He said, it terrified me. You start thinking, am I having an aneurysm? What's wrong with me? Oh, my word, it's scary. He said, I couldn't. I couldn't get, I didn't know what to do with my fingers. I forgot everything about a piano. He said, it terrified me. I thought something was wrong with me. And I sat there frozen in terror. Why can't I, why can't I play the piano? I'm scared. And the Lord let him sit there for about five minutes. And then the Lord said this. He heard the voice of the Lord. Now you know what it's like if I pull my grace back. So all that time, because he had natural ability and he had to go and practice it and learn it 
as he grew up and he had to practice and practice and practice, he thought that he had earned that. That was his and, and that ability was something he did. He thought wrong. It was grace. It was a supernatural gift. Be very careful with pride lest you fall from grace. He never looked at the piano the same when he went to play. It's very difficult to take credit for things and brag about things when you know it wasn't you. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Kerry. You know, I remember a pivotal moment in American history and I sat and I watched this drama unfold in Florida concerning Terry Schiavo, who was this woman, she had gone on an extreme diet to lose weight and had lost consciousness. And the next thing you know, a few years later, they're literally euthanizing her in a nursing home. I was horrified when I watched that happen and it set me into a journey to discover and answer some questions that are very important, especially in the field of the political world. Should Christians, for example, simply submit to the possible consequences of decisions or should they make decisions exclusively based upon the Word of God? Now that sounds simple to ask that question and people flippantly answer it, but you'll find that the answer is very clear in the Bible, and it's also very troubling to modern Christians. Very few Christians truly live out the correct answer to that question. Well, I've put together a cartoon series. It's a whiteboard project where I teach you through some steps of logic and then had an artist in the church draw out the illustrations of what I'm trying to convey. It's really a remarkable thing, and it's free. All you have to do is go to the website to enjoy it, and I'll take you down the road of the journey I went on long ago answering that important question. Should Christians make decisions in life based exclusively on what God's Word says, or should they bow down to the threat of consequences? Because you realize sometimes when you make right decisions, there are very painful consequences. And here's where you need to go. I'll give you the website twice. Stepstopoliticalepiphany.com That's Stepstopoliticalepiphany.com Please enjoy the presentation. It could really change your life. Thank you for listening and God bless. Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. You're ready to hear this now. I've prepped you. You're going to be able now, because of the grace of God in the room, coming from the preaching and the things that you're hearing and believing, now we're going to go read a passage of Scripture and you're gonna see something you maybe haven't seen before while we read. Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Let us fear, therefore, lest at any time by forsaking the promise of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to be deprived. What, what, what rest, what's he talking about? The seven, seven day cycle, coming to church, 
For unto us was the gospel preached as also unto them. Who? The Hebrews that died in the wilderness because they would not obey. Because it was not mixed with faith in those that heard it. So in the old covenant, grace was flowing sideways. A preacher spoke truth. They heard it, but they would not believe it. And therefore, they disobeyed. They were not honorable in many ways, but this particular way that is cited is that of the seven-day cycle of coming in where grace repairs the saints. Verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said to the other, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Where did God establish the seven-day cycle of spiritual rest where you get spiritual food and spiritual drink in the, the foundation, the book of Genesis? For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter thereinto, and they to whom it was first preached entered not therein for unbelief's sake. Again, he appointed a day, a certain day by today, after so long a time saying, as it is said, this day, if you shall hear his voice, harden not your hearts. What day? On the day that the preacher is preaching, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not after this spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Same principle, the seven-day cycle. You need to enter in to the rest, the antiposis of God in the house of the Lord, in the cycle where you're fed spiritually and the nutrition that you need to stay spiritually vibrant and alive, that it, it keeps coming to you after you get saved. You're fed by the same grace that saved you, sustains you. The same grace that saved you when you got born again, that same grace repairs you and keeps you in that original state of being born into God and innocent. Let us study, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is lively and mighty in operation and sharper than any two-edged sword and entereth through even unto the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of your thoughts and the intentions in the secret places of your heart. You need the Word in this room to show you yourself. You need the mirror of the Word to show you your reflection. It is the only tool from heaven that is capable of getting through your thinking and exposing by the Holy Spirit that your thoughts are opposed to the teachings of God, that your heart still has darkness in it that needs to be surgically removed. And it's when you see it and you recognize it and you have humility that the Holy Spirit does surgery, removes what needs to go, sews you up so you can heal. Now, same author, move ahead. If he, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, just a few chapters ahead, same writer, same letter. He's establishing these concepts Hebrews chapter 10, he explains that 
you need to come boldly before the throne of Say it with me. The throne of You need to come boldly before the throne of grace to get mercy in time of need. And then he shows you how. You enter into the throne room, not cavalierly kicking the door open and marching in because you deserve to be there, which is what people think that means, but it doesn't. You get there through the lower priesthood, through delegated authority. You get there through humility and by elevating the value of those that sit on your left and your right. This is your access to the very throne room. It's through the people you go to church with. Now, we won't be able to get into all of it, but I want you to see this. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, and let's begin with verse 19. Seeing therefore, brethren, that by the blood of Jesus, we may be bold to enter into the holy place by the new and living way which he hath prepared for us through the veil that is his flesh, and seeing that we have an high priest which is over the house of God. What this means is the priesthood of the old covenant, which was how grace flowed, has not been done away with. It has been moved to heaven. The priesthood of the old covenant was here to provide the hearing of the word, the grace to the hearers, the possibility of coming to faith in redemption and salvation for their souls by the symbol of the blood uh, coming from the lambs and the bulls and the goats. The priesthood would cut them in front of them, but that priesthood now has been transferred to heaven because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice and incidentally has now become the high priest. So there is still a functioning priesthood. It's just that the priesthood, the high priesthood, is now in heaven instead of on the earth. But the writer to the Hebrews points out there is a lower priesthood that is also still functioning. In this covenant, the lower priesthood that is functioning on the seventh day in the cycle of rest in the church sent by God are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are the lower priesthood, the pipeline through which grace is coming. They are connected to the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is both the lamb and the high priest at the same time. And he sat down on the right hand of the Father, and he gave gifts unto men. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, keep reading. Seeing therefore, brethren, that by the blood of Jesus... We may enter into the holy place prepared for us through the veil that is his flesh and seeing we have a high priest which is right now over the house of God. He is over the church, Jesus Christ, the high priest in heaven over the lower priesthood of the church. Then, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in assurance of faith, our hearts being pure from an evil conscience and washed in our bodies with pure water, let us keep the profession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Watch the next verse. And let us consider one another. Why? Because Jesus said, until I return, you'll find me in the group. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Grace is flowing 
where? Next verse. Not forsaking the fellowship that we have among ourselves in church as the manner of some, but let us exhort one another and that so much the more because we see the day drawing near. For if we sin willingly, how, how? If you sin willingly by not considering others and forsaking the house of God, how much plainer can the Bible be about how much you need the church? And how much the church needs you. Why is the church important? Because nobody can get saved without it. And if you don't support it, there is no preacher. For if we sin willingly after that we have received and acknowledged that truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for of judgment and violent fire which shall devour our adversaries. He that despiseth Moses' laws died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sorer punishment now suppose ye shall he be worthy which treadeth underfoot the Son of God and counteth the blood of the testament as an unholy thing wherewith he was sanctified and doth despise the spirit of grace. How? By cavalierly discarding the beauty of faithful church attendance until I return. Jesus says, you'll find me in the group. Jesus was all the laws of Moses, the truth and grace, and all the truth and grace of the prophets. Jesus, the whole Torah was made flesh and dwelt among us. And there's a pattern that you've got to be together in a seven-day cycle. It comes from the beginning. Don't treat that like some people have a habit of. Because if you got in trouble for disobeying that principle under Moses, how much worse, how much greater is your danger? Because you're doing the same thing, only you're doing it to Jesus. And he knew more than Moses. He was more than Moses. And he agreed with Moses. And you still need to be in church every seven days. Because it's the source of grace and you need to be repaired. If you go too long and you don't have intimacy with your spouse, temptation increases and you'll fall and sin. Behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. If you go too long without being repaired in the presence of the saints, you'll stumble into sin and it'll destroy the covenant that you've made with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said, I know you're gonna miss me, but you'll find me in the group until I return. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father God, thank you for grace. Thank you 
for the beautiful things that you do for us when we come together as the church. Thank you for this building that you've blessed us with. Thank you for the honor of singing songs with unity in our hearts, for thanking you, for praising you, for the surgeries that you've already finished, for the wounds that you've already healed. 